I'm not Karina. <laughs> Just in case you weren't sure. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm pitch hitting for her. I want to thank, uh, don't you love it when all the music majors come out in full storm and, and, and lead worship? Thank you, Dr. Michelle. And Dr. Davis, for all they do. This is a great uh, opportunity for the people here getting a taste of Tyndale to feel uh, a little of uh, what our worship life uh, is like and uh, the diversity that is so much part of it. So thank you. There's a lot of unsung heroes um, that make this place work. Like how many of you uh, students would know Brian Ty, the money guy? Right uh, in financial aid, uh, that that work uh, at Tyndale very quietly, and and you a lot of us don't see them. They're not up front. They're 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 the kind of if you want, they're the foundational piece of everything that that makes Tyndale uh, Tyndale. Uh, you feel it sometimes when you walk down the hall and you walk into a classroom, and I turn on the computer and I. I plug in and I realize there's all of these people that have made that possible and I better not ever take it for granted because the day I walk down there and it doesn't work, then I realize there's been a whole bunch of people usually backing me up at that particular kind. And one of them is Rainer at the back. Now just look at the number of microphones up at the front here. Uh, we don't have a nickname for Rainer, like he's not Rainer the sound guy uh, or anything like that, but uh, as we were doing renovations and moving and talking about moving over here, uh, Rainer was really instrumental along with the IT department in creating uh, some of the space. Even the screen that appears out of the floor was a kind of Rainer uh, idea. And uh, now lots of people come and kind of check it out because they're wondering why they didn't do it that way. Uh, and, and just the balancing of sound, and especially with people like me that move around and don't stand where I'm supposed to be standing, and he has to balance sound and all of those things. Um, I was, it was appropriate, all the songs that we sang today, because um, when I got emailed yesterday about 5 o'clock, if I would do this, um, I said I'd love to, and, and, uh, and I began to think through what I might say. And... Uh, as you know, some of you who've been around for a while, I've always been fascinated by the, by the ways in which Jesus encounters people in the Gospels. Because it, it, it's always struck me uh, that we want to put Jesus at the center of it all, but we really never have really thought through what that means. Like, uh, it, it sounds so nice, right? Like, I, uh, when we sing the song, I Surrender All, I wonder if we ever, none of us ever laugh, you know, because none of us surrender at all, right? It's, it's an intent, but we really never do. I mean, so what does it mean when someone says to me that I want to be more like Jesus? Well, do you really? You know, like, well, maybe you should read the Gospels. Uh, I remember sitting in a class one time and I, they were... Uh, we were talking about culture and someone was saying, one of the students was saying to me, well, you know, it's just not fair. It's, uh, 
it's, you know, people are mean. We're not allowed to have prayer in the schools. Uh, people are, are, have animosity toward Christianity. And I went, well, so what? And they, she went, well, well, we're not allowed to do this. And they say this about us. And I said, well, so? Finally, she got so mad at me. She, she said, what do you mean, so what? I said, well, it seems to me that Jesus prayed the prayer in John. He says, I sent him into the world as you sent me into the world. And I said, it didn't seem to work out that well for Jesus. So why would you think that it should work out well for you? Like, what if it means to follow Jesus in the 21st century that it actually might be inconvenient and uncomfortable? might cost more money. Uh, it, 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 might, it might be awkward at times. And so as one of my assignments that I used to do in a course, I think we did it in Ashur's class when he was doing his master's, this is before he became a professor, uh, but uh, we, we, I asked them to study the Gospels and to look at the ways that Jesus interacts with people and to develop a, a kind of theology of engagement. How do, we, how do we live like Jesus in the world? And the Gospels are a are, are profound example of even just in the four ways that they tell the story of Jesus that, that enable us to understand that, that we all encounter Jesus in different ways, right? Uh, there was a time where they would take the Gospels and there was, a little, there was little differences in the story and, and people were uncomfortable with that, those differences. And yet, from my perspective, the authenticity of the New Testament is shown by the fact that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John don't always look the same because we all, we all encountered Jesus in a different way. Like if I asked you your story, you'd tell it very differently than my story. Uh, and, and, and that difference is, is kind of one of the things that, that, that gets wrapped up in the Gospels. Matthew is writing to Jewish Christians who are, who are suffering. And so he wants them to understand that they're rooted in something, right? And so he starts the Gospel with, and so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. Because when you're being persecuted, what do you need to know? You need to know you belong to something that stood the test of time when you're being persecuted. Mark is just young and he gets all excited, doesn't even tell you about the birth, right? Doesn't even end the resurrection the right way, <laughs> right? Have you ever noticed that? Well, it, it depends. It maybe is the right way, but it, I mean, he's just excited about the gospel. He's just excited about this Jesus that he's encountered. And there's this breathlessness about everything that he says. There's kind of like, and immediately, and then, and then, and then he went, and then he did this. You get the feeling that in, in Mark, all he ever did was run to something. Even, even, the, even the story of, of the resurrection is the women ran, and then they came out, and then he ends the story there. Check it out. And about, um, they say, there's always a notation in the NIV, it says, I, I know I see Ben is here, Dr. Reynolds, but there's a little notation that says, uh, a century and a half later, someone decides to end the story better. 
and, and writes a little kind of uh, piece at the very end of Mark. It's kind of like you see a movie, you don't like the end of it, so you wait for 10 years and then you write a different ending. Uh, Luke is a historian, so whenever you read Luke, you, you, you're looking for the details and you're looking for why he gathered stories together in the way that he did. And then John, which is where I want you to look, John chapter 5. Uh, John even tells you why he wrote his gospel, right? He says, I wrote this gospel, why? I, I could have told you all sorts of stories, he says, but I chose these stories so that you might believe. So whenever you read the gospel of John, you have to ask the one question, right? Why did he choose this story? Why, of all the stories he could have chosen, why did he choose this story? And in this particular one is, why did he choose the story of the man at the pool of Bethesda? Let me read it real quick. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and in which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in that condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Pause. Whenever you read the stories of Jesus' encounters, figure out where the pauses are. You know, like, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on here. And this pause, there's all sorts of deciding that is going on. This is a lonely man. Doesn't matter whether you believe that the bubbles had magic or not. He believed it. And for 38 years, he sat on that porch, and he watched other people get in ahead of him. He even says that later, right? For 38 years, he's lived in whatever the condition is that he is, and he has wished that he could be. This is the picture of a man who is absolutely disillusioned, who has absolutely given up. And so when Jesus says, do you want to get well, he's asking a profound question because the man's answer is the answer that you would give to your social worker. It's just not fair. Life isn't fair. There should be a number system like they have at the bakery. You know, pick a number, choose your time, anything. But it's just not fair. Do you want to get well? Well, what a stupid question to ask. Well, the fact is, he'd gone beyond wanting to get well. And he'd moved into disillusionment. Do you want to get well? And this is what he says. Sir, this is the number in the bakery thing. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, pause. Get up. 
Don't you like that? Like, like it's, uh, my daughter never liked this when I would say to her, suck it up. You know, life's tough. Life's not fair. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. In the midst of this man's disillusionment, with one sharp, liberating command, Jesus says, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And it says he got up. I want to just real quickly, if Jesus is at the center, then what does Jesus do here? I want you to look at it. What, what is it that Jesus is doing? If the challenge of today, and I think one of the things that Karina was talking about was going to be the engagement of culture. Living in a post-Christendom world, in a place in which faith is, is less than faith, or in a society that, that is less than faith-friendly, how does one engage? And the first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus finds this guy. Like, he's not in the synagogue. The man at the pool of Bethesda, Zacchaeus, all of these people, you'll never find them there. You find them in the world. And in, in, an, in a hostile world, the natural tendency for most of us is to kind of wholly huddle it. When in truth, Jesus finds this man. It's the most important thing that you can learn about the nature of God. I've told this story numerous times here, but I'll tell it again because some of you are new. Uh, I didn't learn a lot in systematic theology, um, but I learned this. My professor was a man named Jeffrey Bromley. Uh, he translated Kittle. He translated all of Bart's dogmatics. He was a brilliant church historian. It was an 8 o'clock in the morning class. Don't you love 8 o'clock in the morning classes? All those that would choose an 8 in the morning class, put your hand up. You like it? Okay, good for you. One. <laughs> um, and I would sit in the back and uh, with a group of friends. All of them now, interestingly enough, are New Testament scholars. Uh, so I hung out with them because I hoped that by osmosis, it would kind of rub off on me. And I would sleep, generally. Um, I hate to admit this. One day, uh, I heard my name called. And uh, the guy sitting next to me, a guy named Gary Burge, uh, hit me with his elbow and he says, uh, Dr. Bromley wants you to pray. So I immediately jumped up, whipped off my glasses, and I said, Dear God, we want to thank you for this class. Da -da 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 -da. And I can't figure out why my friends next to me are all laughing. <laughs> and, and it's because they're, uh, Dr. Bromley hadn't asked me to pray. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he'd actually asked me to wake up. And, uh, and they're all kind of giggling, thinking, this is very funny, and I'm making a fool of myself. And finally, Dr. Bromley says, Mr. Nelson, please sit down. <laughs> Just sit down. So I sat down. 
I've never forgiven those guys for that. <laughs> um, and then he said this. He said, Mr. Nelson, if you remember nothing from this class, and then he said, as a little writer, which is very likely, <laughs> because I've noticed that you've slept through most of this class. He said, if you remember nothing, then remember this. And this very proper Englishman, who gardened in his tie, uh, stood up on a chair, and he said, if you remember nothing, remember this. God is a seeking God. I've never forgotten it. He said, from Genesis to Revelation is the story of a God who will not let you go. From Genesis to Revelation is, a, is, is the story of a God who is constantly seeking after you. Who in Jesus Christ ultimately models that profoundly. God is a seeking God. Jesus finds this guy. Of all of the people he could have found, this is the one. He's there. He's in the crowd. He's in this place. The second thing I want you to notice in this is that he, with that question, do you want to get well, he breaks through the shell of this guy and he deals with the real issue in this guy's life. Right? He doesn't treat this person just like an object. Like, what does it mean for my next door neighbors in our condo? What's the good news for these people? It's not always the same. I know what the bad news is. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what's the good news for these people? For this person, after 38 years, this is an act of healing long before it's an act of I mean, Jesus dealing with his sin, if you read on in the story, right? Like he deals with this guy physically first. That's the third thing I want you to notice about this story, is that Jesus deals with this guy in a very different way than he deals with another person. The, the blind man is another example of this, where, where Jesus deals with the blind man's blindness and then you get this parallel story of the religious establishment becoming more and more blind and this blind man becoming more and more insightful, not just physically, but even spiritually. This, this is the story of a Jesus who breaks through the shell of this person and, and he deals with the whole person. Never treat people like an object. The rest of the story is fascinating, but we don't have time. But it goes on. And just think of this. For 38 years, this man has never, ever been accused of, of working on the Sabbath. Right? And now, the religious establishment, us, 
right? The religious establishment start accusing him of working on the Sabbath. In some ways, I wonder if he was kind of going, oh, thanks. Really nice of you to accuse me of that. Has it ever occurred to you that sometimes it's better not to get well? Because to get well means you come with new, it comes with new responsibilities. It, call, it comes with a set of responsibilities that, that you maybe never ever had considered. Because that's part of this story too. Anyway, I'm not Karina. <laughs> but sometimes when I drive in a car, I think weird thoughts about passages. Okay? Do you do that? Yeah, it's, it's just a way of, I, I think you want to preach a passage and you're kind of thinking of other ways to look at the passage. And, and, and one day I was driving and I was thinking about this and I thought, what if for 38 years this guy had been dreaming about what it would be like to be healed by the bubbles? Do you, do you know what I mean? Like... For 38 years, he kind of dreamt of how God was going to heal him. And what those, you know, he'd, he'd be the first one there this time. Some friends showed up just at the right time. The bubbles started coming up. And he'd be right at the top of the pool. And he'd be the first one in. And his friends would kind of, he was floating. And they'd kind of push him out into the water, into the middle of the bubbles. And all of a sudden, the bubbles would come up around him. What if for 38 years, he'd fantasized about what this would be like? Right? The bubbles would come up. And he'd feel his arms straightening out. And he'd stand up in the pool. And everybody would be there, and they'd be going, isn't that great? And he'd get up, and he'd walk out of the pool with a great sense of pride, looking both ways, of course. And everybody's going, yes, yes, yes. And he's thinking, whoa, I can hardly wait to feel those bubbles. What if for 38 years he'd been fantasizing about that, and then out of nowhere, some idiot comes and says, get up, pick up your mat, walk. But I wanted the bubbles. <laughs> your experience of God will be the experience that God gives you. And I wonder sometimes, in my kind of weird driving around and thinking weird thoughts about, I wonder if this is not an illustration of, of the fact that sometimes you can be thinking of what it's going to be like, and it isn't anything of what you thought it was, but it was like, but you know what? You've been set free. But you're so busy fantasizing about the bubbles 
that you miss it. Don't miss it. That's what's so important in this passage. He could have said, I'm not getting up. (laughs) Get up. These are your bubbles. Just not the ones you fantasize. One of the great things about coming to this place is the different ways that God has encountered each of you. And to validate, invalidating that is part of what we are about. I want to be like Jesus. Eh, not so sure. I want to be more like Jesus. But it may not be or look. It may be inconvenient. And it may be uncomfortable. Let's pray. We do want you to be at the center and we do want to be more like you. Grant us your spirit and people around us as we seek to become more like you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.